0: Um, Today, we're going to move forward in our series in the Gospel of Mark. This is the second week that we're here, so uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 1 in the ninth verse. uh, If you don't have your own Bible, you can look around you in the seating in front of you, maybe underneath you. If you see a Bible, you can take it. it. If it has somebody's name printed on it, maybe don't, but otherwise... You can have it. Um, you can uh, read what will be on the screen, or you can just listen, whatever works for you. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your scriptures are your word and you stand behind them and you speak them to us even now. God, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, our ears were not only hear, but the ears of our heart. And God, we pray that the eyes of our heart would be open. We would see We would hear all that you have for us, we would receive it, and our hearts would respond to you in love. We ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. So the Gospel of Mark, like I mentioned last week, is this, the we believe, the the earliest gospel, the first of the four to be written. Based on and coming out of the the testimony and teaching probably of the Apostle Peter, Um, Mark was associated with him and is writing this for people who are not from this area. They're not from uh, the geographic region of Palestine. Uh, They have to have things explained to them. They're Gentiles. Uh, and Mark is writing in his own particular way. He's very much to the point to which if you're familiar with the other Gospels, you, you get the, r- the real sense of because Mark gives like a sentence and a half for two passages that in other Gospels take several paragraphs to describe. And that's just the way Mark rolls. He's just going to get right to the point and he's going to move right on to the next thing. Uh, And we're going to actually work our way backwards through these three little sections uh, that we just read. Mark describes that Jesus begins his ministry in Galilee, and he begins to preach And his message. uh, He says he's proclaiming the gospel of God, and what Jesus is saying is the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. And we know that... we're we're pretty quickly, this is uh, verse 14, 15, this is where Mark wants to get to. He started his writing by saying, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So we are now hearing the thing, the substance of the message. But it's important to hear what Jesus is preaching, because it it might be a bit different than what you expect. He is preaching the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, when I'm teaching this with my students at Montreat, I stop here and ask them the question: what is the gospel? And most of them, well, the ones who will want to answer out loud, say something that probably all of us would say, and it's a great answer: Jesus is God. He died on the cross for your sins, and he was resurrected. Maybe they'll remember the resurrection. Jesus has just started his ministry. He's not died on a cross. So what is Jesus preaching if it's the gospel? What is Jesus announcing? What is the good news if most of the thing that you normally think of as the gospel has not happened yet, is the gospel that Jesus is preaching a sort of uh, a prediction or description of the future, I'm going to die on the cross for your sins and be resurrected? It's possible, but there's no teaching, no preaching that we have from Jesus that looks like that. He does tell his disciples at various times, I'm going to die. The Son of Man is going to be crucified. But there's no preaching of any gospel that we have recorded where it sounds like Jesus saying that thing. And we can't read the gospel of Mark and believe that the cross is not important. Of all the gospels, actually, the gospel of Mark is most focused on the cross. He he builds his whole gospel on it. But the cross hasn't come yet. Has it come yet in Mark's narrative? And that's really important. Because Mark is going to build a lot of things towards the cross. And then when the cross and what happens in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus is finally put on full display, everything happens then backwards. And you think backwards to everything that you've seen and heard. And it all begins to make sense. But you need to hear that Jesus is beginning already in his ministry, years before the cross happens, to announce the thing that he's going to do that is, in fact, happening right in front of them. The good news of Jesus is this thing. The kingdom of God is at hand. This is the substance... ...of what Jesus preaches, which is the best news that can be offered, is the kingdom of God is nearby. The kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God, he'll say elsewhere, is among you. The kingdom of God is within you. The rule and reign of the God of Israel is at hand. And this is actually functionally, it is presently in this moment, good news... And the people who are listening to him need to repent. They need to turn from whatever they've been doing and however they've been doing it and believe the good news that Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of God, is here. Now, as you're, you're given this news at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry, the beginning of the teaching and life of Jesus as presented in the gospel, the natural question that you should ask and that Jesus's listeners are asking is, what does that mean? What does that mean? They, they have some very definitive ideas about what that should mean. If the kingdom of God is at hand, then the kingdom of Rome should be falling. That's their assumption. And Jesus is, is picking up this prophetic, Davidic legacy of of a king, a Messiah who's going to come and deliver Israel. Jesus is absolutely aware of that. Mark has prepared us to be thinking that way by calling Jesus the Christ, the anointed one. He will say all kinds of things about being the Messiah and people will hear that news and assume that the, the kingdom of God coming means the kingdom of Rome falling. And of course, they will be profoundly disappointed because that is precisely not the sum total of what Jesus is coming to do. And so what will happen from this moment in the Gospel of Mark is a demonstration of what it means when the kingdom of God comes to town. The kingdom is the place where Jesus is king. That's that's the most basic definition that you can get about the kingdom of God. The kingdom is the place where the king reigns. And because of that, the borders of where the king is reigning is not geographic. It's not fixed. It is, in fact, in flux, even now in our own lives. Because we are Even as individuals at varying degrees actually living under the rule and reign of Jesus to to varying levels of success. I can mark the borderlands of the kingdom of God's advance in my own life where God has transformed me and brought my own desires, my, my own ambitions under his kingly reign. And every corner of my own life where God's rule and reign has advanced, has been a victory, has in fact been good news. Every time Jesus has become more in reigning position of my own life, it has in fact been gospel. It has been good news for me that Jesus is in control. In every borderlands of my own life, which I encounter moment by moment, day by day, where it is revealed that I still have unconquered territory within me, I still hear this central message of Jesus. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. The king is coming. It is both that the king has come and that the king is coming. The king is here and the king is still advancing. And this is the very best news. Remember, gospel means good news. The good news is that the God who would set himself up as king, who is the rightful reign, reigner and ruler over all the earth, he is before you. This is what Jesus preaches as the gospel. And it is because of that that the cross means everything. But you won't hear and see all that Mark is trying to show you in the cross without hearing this announcement. The kingdom of God is at hand. Now, Jesus announces the kingdom. And let's move backwards to the story that's just before it. Jesus is driven into the wilderness. And this story, you can find in other Gospels, it's the story of the temptation of Jesus. And Mark does not give you any of the details that you can read, for example, in Matthew. If you want to know what goes on in these 40 days... This is why we have multiple Gospels, and you have another telling of the story, which will give you much more. Jesus is driven into the wilderness by the Spirit of God. And there is this kind of confrontation. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Why does Mark talk about wild animals? I have no idea. It's a particular detail in the Gospel of Mark. I tried to figure out what's going on here. Nobody knows. There's wild animals, it's part of the thing. He's in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. He is in the, the, the wild animals, just tell you about the desolation of the location, the aloneness, the uncontrolledness. ...of the situation, and he is doing direct confrontation for 40 days with the great enemy of all humanity, the enemy of Israel, the enemy of God who wants to subvert and destroy the advancement of the rightful ruler. This one, this Satan is the one who leads the charge of rebellion against the rightful ruler and reigning king in the world. And Jesus does battle with him. This is the primary mode of what it looks like to fight Satan. It's not horror movie stuff. It's not exorcism stuff, though that stuff is real and all over the Gospel of Mark and all over all the Gospels, which we'll definitely see. The primary mode and arena and venue of confrontation with this rebel authority is this kind of thing. temptation. The devil is far more uh, successful in his efforts of temptation than he is at terrifying you with spiritual power and authority. You, as a citizen of the the West, who has very little uh, intellectual and emotional bandwidth and time for confrontations with demons apart from on a movie screen, this is where you will encounter the devil. The devil comes to tempt you to believe at bottom that you are a better ruler than God. That you are a better sovereign. That the, king, the kingdom of God might be at hand, the king might be at hand, but you're a better one. And that joins you in alliance with him. Because that's what he believes as well. That he would be a better ruler. He would be a better authority. And the whole story of humanity, the whole story of Israel, is a story of capitulation to that lie. An assent over and over and over again. That I, in fact, know better should i be a generous self-sacrificing person yeah but here's a different idea what if i just did what i wanted and that that decision that instinct dominates my life should should i be should i be slow to anger should i be forgiving should, should I release people from their debts to me? Yeah, but here's a different idea. What if, what if I just hold on to my anger and my bitterness and the, my judgment of others? Because my way is better. Should, should my sexual appetites and desires be confined to the arena which the Creator has made them for? Should should I view people around me as image bearers and brothers and sisters? Yeah, but here's a better idea. What if I do whatever I want with my sexuality and treat other people like objects to be manipulated and moved around? This is the way that rebel kingdoms form, rise, and fall all the time in the quiet of our heart. And Jesus, this this one who heralds the arrival of God's rule, goes into the arena to say no, no, no. To be the the fully alive kind of human that I cannot be, the, the fully subjected one to the one who would, Beg and prod and tempt you to seize your own authority and power. And Jesus' only response are the words of the king. This is an exercise in the domination of God. This is pitched battle with the one who would come for your own ruin and mine. And Jesus for 40 days and for indeed all of his life is a fully alive human being that lives in the delightful middle of the king's kingdom and repels all advances. For 40 days he wins when for 40 years in the wilderness Israel failed. Jesus announces the arrival of the kingdom. He fends off the enemies of the kingdom. And then we arrive backwards at this, the heart of the kingdom. Jesus goes to his cousin John at the, at the river's edge, this wild man, telling everyone that they've sinned and need to be cleansed, to be baptized in repentance. And Jesus walks to the waters himself and goes in to the waters. And the question is, why? Why are, why are you here? That's not just my question. It's not just maybe your question. It's John's question in the other gospels. What do you want me to do? John knows who Jesus is. John knows that Jesus, he, he already sees what Mark has already told us and proclaimed at the beginning of the gospel. Jesus Christ, Son of God. John, good prophet, knows who Jesus is. And he is saying, what do you need and with a baptism of repentance? And Jesus and the other gospels tell him this is to fulfill all things. Baptize me in these waters. Jesus goes under the waters of baptism, comes out of the waters of baptism. And then John hears and sees, the crowd hears and sees this thing. Mark describes it as the, the heavens being opened up, torn open. And hears this voice say this thing. Here is you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Mark says the Spirit descends like a dove. And in this moment is the the full visual audio presentation of the fullness of God's character. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit present in one moment proclaiming this thing. You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus is in these waters not because he needs to repent to be cleansed. Jesus is hearing this thing from his Father out loud. Jesus is being descended upon in the Holy Spirit not because he needs any of that from himself. He needs no cleansing. He needs not to be reminded of his Father's pleasure and approval because he has lived in perfect unity and love with the Father from all of eternity. He's very aware and secure of what the Father knows and says to him, the Son, eternally. He does not need the Spirit to descend upon him because he and the Father have lived in perfect unity with the Spirit forever and ever. He does not need any of this. The reason that Jesus is being baptized, that the Father is speaking, that the Spirit is descending is because of you. It's all for you. The whole thing, it's not just a show. It's not so that you can see it and understand it. It's so you can have it. So you can receive it. Jesus' baptism is about your baptism. Jesus' baptism, his going into the waters, is the sanctification of not his waters, but your waters. So that when the waters of baptism flow over your head, those are the very same waters that the Son of God sanctified with his own body. I was reading a sermon about this from a man called Hippolytus of Rome a theologian and writer from the 2nd century, died sometime in the early 3rd century, I would just probably, you'd be better off if I just read the whole thing to you instead. It's called The Discourse on the Holy Theophany. It's three and a half pages. It's awesome. I read it out loud to myself in 10 minutes, and I had myself a church service. Hippolytus says, In this moment... The things above were opened for us so that when we went down into the grave, we would have the ability to finally ascend. Before, if we died, the only place for us to go was down. And in Jesus, the doors upward are opened. He says everything that's on this earth in this moment is joined to everything above when the Spirit descends. So that those who, he says, were far from God in enmity would be brought close to him in amity and friendship. When Jesus hears, when the crowd hears, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, you are being extended the scepter of adoption. That those very words are extended to you. You are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. And everything in you and in me says... That cannot be true. If we're honest about who we are and ourselves, if we are hearing John's message that we are the ones that need to repent, how could that possibly be true of me? God cannot be well pleased in me. And what Jesus extends to you is all of himself. Everything that you feel disqualifies you is washed in those waters. And everything that Jesus has in himself is yours. So that when Jesus rises out of those waters, he carries his people with us, with him, that we too might be beloved children. This is the heart of the kingdom. This is the good news of the kingdom. This is what makes everything about the kingdom so good. This is when we're saying that that the kingdom is a place where God rules and reigns. It is the God who is your father. And embraces you as his child forever and conquers your enemies. This is the kingdom. This is why this is good news. And so Jesus is proclaiming this message in Galilee, far away from all the cool people, the powerful people, all of the smart people, to the ordinary people. He's saying the kingdom of God is at hand to you. This is the good news. And this same message is being preached to you, before you, in you. Of you today. The kingdom of God is at hand. And you may be here and you say, "I, I know that I'm in. Guess what? Your heart has still more territory to be conquered by him. And some part of you, some part of you knows that you have held, aw- held off and you've fenced off and you've kept away from you because you believe I'm actually a better ruler. I don't want to be that kind of forgiving person. I don't want to be that kind of person who's self-controlled. I don't want to be that kind of person. And everything about you that's rebelling in that moment is lying to you. Because your father, the king, is this one who tells you you're my beloved. And everything I have, I give to you. Today, if you know you're here and you have fenced off pieces of your heart, you've been gripped by, by bitterness and, and, and sexual temptation and, and worldliness, and, and, and you're possessed by your stuff and security, repent. Repent. This is the good news. The kingdom is at hand. Jesus is before you and you are his beloved and everything that has God has for you is goodness and mercy. Repent. Let it go. Leave it behind and give give away all of those fears that are possessing you and go be his. The father is at hand. The kingdom of If God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. And if you are here today and you are driving your own ship, you are the one who determines your own destiny, you are in control of all things, you have never turned to follow Jesus, this is the best news that you could ever hear. The God who made everything wants to give you himself. The God who made everything sees everything, every bit of everything that might make you repugnant to him and says, I will wash you. I will make you my son or my daughter. I will give you myself. The spirit will descend on you too. Repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. I want to read to you to to finish how Hippolytus finished his sermon. He talks about these baptismal waters as the laver of regeneration, the pouring of the waters of regeneration. He who comes down in faith to the laver of regeneration, who renounces the devil and joins himself to Christ, who denies the enemy and makes the confession that Christ is God, who puts off the bondage and puts on the adoption. That one, he comes up from, whom, from his baptism brilliant as the sun, flashing forth the beams of righteousness, and which is indeed the chief thing. He returns a son of God and a joint heir with Christ. To him, Christ, be the glory and the power, together with his most holy and good and quickening spirit, now and forever, and to all the ages of the ages. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray for all of us today that we might see and hear this good news that the kingdom is at hand, the kingdom of God is at hand. God, we thank you that you have entered the arena, crushed our enemies, and brought us into the very center, the heart of your rule and reign. Father, I pray for those who are here today and already follow you. God, I pray that you would uh, beckon them into to deeper obedience, deeper submission to you, that they would not be bound by the lies of temptation and the fears of surrender. God, I pray that more and more territory in our own hearts and lives would be taken over by you. And Father, I pray for those who are here today, who are standing outside the walls of the kingdom, who have never turned and repented and believed, not one time. And God, I pray that they would see that the door to the kingdom is open, that in fact the way is clear, and that today is the day that they might be delivered into the heart of the kingdom, that they might be a son or a daughter of God. Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would move them And that they would would just all of a sudden be able to be free from those voices that whisper. The objections, the what ifs, and the fears. And Father, I pray that they would be able to very clearly hear the same voice that tore the heavens open for them. Speak to them. And say, come in and be my beloved. Father, let us all, wherever we are on that spectrum, have our eye fixed on Jesus. See him who has delivered to us the fullness of the kingdom in power. Let our hearts be, be gripped by him and be ever moving deeper and deeper into him. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for all that you have done and won for us. Amen.